This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. Welcome to Resource Centre. This is Audrey Raj. Now on the show today, we're going to be talking about ESG disclosures and why it's important to your business. Now, this has been called many things. Um, ESG reporting, purpose-led reporting, sustainability reporting, corporate social responsibility reporting. But it ultimately means the same thing. When we talk about ESG disclosures, it basically means a report on data relating to your environmental, social and governance performance. And this report helps investors make informed decisions about your organization's risk or performance related to sustainability or ESG failings. Now, more and more countries around the world are looking at making ESG disclosures mandatory for listed companies. In fact, some 30 countries uh, around the world maintain some degree of mandatory ESG disclosure regulations right now, including the US, the UK, Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong and the Philippines. So what does this mean for your business moving forward? How does this affect non-listed companies and SMEs here in ASEAN as well? And how do you navigate between the lack of universal ESG Um, standards and registries and concerns about greenwashing? Well, to answer all these questions and then some, I have online with me today, Benjamin So, Founder and Managing Director of Stacks, an ESG data and technology company headquartered in Singapore. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Hi, Audrey. Thanks for having me. So, um, Ben, if I can call you Ben. um, Yes, please. Ben, um, China's move towards compulsory ESG disclosures uh, for public companies, that is the move that has been making waves. Now, can you share, can you share some insights into the global trend towards mandatory ESG disclosures? Uh, just, you know, just to set the context, just to give us the lay of the land before we even dive deeper into ESG disclosures. Mm, yes, that's right. So, you know, just now you mentioned that listed companies in several countries are now mandated to provide disability reports. And on top of that, you know, there are certain countries like, you know, in the EU, they are also including non-listed companies. In fact, uh, they have just already confirmed that the regulations will be in place from 1st January 2024. It's just a few months away. And that includes uh, non-listed companies as long as they have revenues of more than 40 million euros a year. And so somebody did a market research and actually they realized that more than 60,000 companies in the EU will therefore be impacted. So it's no longer just the you know, hundreds or thousands of listed companies that we hear about, but it's literally you know, any type of uh, company that has a meaningful business presence will also be captured in the EU. I guess what it really means to us is that, you know, if we are, even if we are SME or non-listed company and we hope to sell to the list coast or we hope to sell to the MNCs who happen to also be you know, regulated in their home country, they will have to get some data, you know, from the supply chain. And if we are able to sell, uh, provide that data to them, we will be able to sell better to them. Okay, so how does this then um impact Malaysian businesses? Or maybe before we can even jump into the impact, uh, maybe you can give us an overview on the current state of, um, well, ESG disclosure here in Malaysia and and, and Mm. even in the region. Yeah. So... Uh, historically, Asia has always been a little bit uh, behind Europe, 
when it comes to adopting ESG and regulations. Okay, but I think in a good way, that actually uh, provides us precedent. So Asia has been always quite quick okay, to adopt, you know, those best international practices. So in ASEAN, okay, I'll talk about ASEAN first before we dive into Malaysia. Okay, so, you know, in ASEAN, actually, last year and this year, the ASEAN Taxonomy Board, which is actually the 10 central banks of ASEAN, came together and they, you know, released ASEAN Taxonomy version 1 last year, version 2 this year. And that is, of course, uh, riding on the experiences or, you know, the learnings from uh, the way that other jurisdictions have done it. So that is, in a way, a very fast uh, adoption kind of like a, a thinking from ASEAN. Then, of course, in each country, you know, the regulators are therefore free to adopt their own implementation okay, of the regulations that are aligned uh, with ASEAN in general. Yeah, and definitely in Malaysia, you know, Busan Malaysia has already uh, uh, provided the guidelines for listed companies. Okay, and also Bank Negara Malaysia has also provided the guidance for the banks and financial institutions in general. And increasingly, okay, we are already seeing clarity about what is there, okay, in, uh, in terms of the guidelines and the frameworks for companies to abide with in Malaysia. Right. Um, ben, can we just roll back and talk about what exactly is going to be part of this mm. ESG report? You know, what is it that yep. um, listed companies out there right now are tracking? Uh, what are they trying to ensure is being, or they're, they're being transparent about in uh, their ESG reports? Yeah. So if we break down E. S and G into the three components, E, S and G. Mm. Okay, so E for environmental reporting. Essentially, uh, most of the standards are focused on your uh, climate uh, impact. So in other words, are you generating a lot of carbon emissions? Okay, are you mitigating your carbon emissions? So these are the various ways, okay, that we need to be able to find the data to report towards. Uh, when it comes to S, okay, uh, standards are usually focused on diversity. Okay, do you do good for the uh, the, the, the general society? Uh, you know, do you source from uh, responsible sources? And of course, you know, conversely, okay, do you engage in human rights uh, uh, mispractices? Okay, and of course, G, just to make sure that, you know, the companies are properly governed. Okay, is there uh, anti-corruption, anti-bribery uh, 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 training? Okay, and correct ethics applied by the, the uh, management of the company. So those different categories are, are simplistically broken down. Okay, and actually, if we look at them individually, we realize that it's not so daunting or not so intimidating, you know, because mm. if you are trying to do business, naturally, you will be conscious of these things, uh, even without being uh, uh, specifically trying to do it. You know? So these are actually part and parcel of a lot of daily, day-to-day uh, -day business operations. So Ben, you mentioned earlier that uh, Bursa Malaysia and even Bank Negara released guidelines earlier this year. I think uh, Bursa Malaysia and the London Stock Exchange also mm. announced the development of an ESG reporting platform earlier this year. Um, but all in all, there doesn't seem to be like one standard uh, universal ESG yeah. standard, okay, for lack of a better yeah. term, or, or registry, right? So yeah. what kind of challenges does this pose to um listed companies here, you know, when they are trying to keep track of all this data uh, mm. to be part of their ESG report? 
That's a great point, Audrey. And, uh, you know, somebody always tells me that ESG is like alphabet soup. <laughs> what is known as, you know, ESG could be called something else. And yeah. those international standards, uh, ISSPG, ITCFD, etc. You know, there's so many different types of alphabets. Uh, but I would like to say that ultimately the principles usually are largely the same. Just that the way that they are described or the way they are quantified might be slightly different. And rightfully so, you know, I don't really think there can be one international standard just simply because different countries have kind of like a different nuances, mm. uh, different energy mix, and they are at different stages in their decarbonization journey. So I think, you know, in principle, okay, uh, taking a reference from traditional accounting, financial accounting, you know, financial accounting, I don't know, I wasn't born at the time, but let's say 70, 80 years ago, it must have been, you know, kind of like a, a, a do, you know, do what you can and learn as you grow until it finally evolved into an international commonly accepted financial reporting standard. And even then, or even now, certain countries will still have different definitions of what is a large corp, what is a SME, you know, what threshold is there to be reported below which you do not need to be audited. You know, those are those various implementations of the same principles uh, in financial accounting. So I think in environmental accounting or ESG in general, there will be a similar development or evolution, whereby uh, we are already starting to see international alignment of principles, international alignment of standards. Okay, and therefore, while each country may implement it or define slightly differently, you know, the data points or the efforts of a company to achieve excellence should be able to be used, you know, in another country. But coming back to the question, I think that that's where technology plays a role. So, you know, when we say that a listed company, especially, you know, many listed companies have operations in many countries, right? So if they were to report in Malaysia, and what if they also have operations in another country, right? And they have to report the other part in another way, you know, that confuses the company itself. It also confuses everybody else who are trying to understand more about the company. So I guess that's why technology helps, you know, technology platforms like the platform that Busa Malaysia has developed or, you know, the other platforms out there in the market, they are supposed to help to help translate those data, okay, almost like an international adapter so that if we are able to put in the right piece of information, it is able to be translated to the different standards and frameworks as required. Right. I like that term, the international adapter. <laughs> right. Uh, ben, um, we are going to take a quick break. But before that, I think I can squeeze in one last question. Um, now, I know that uh, many exchanges are considering making climate-related disclosures mandatory uh, for companies in specific sectors. Now, how might these mandates impact businesses in Malaysia? And what kind of steps should they take to prepare? Mm. So uh, the exchanges will definitely impact the listed companies directly. And however, however, the listed companies might need to be procuring from the non-listed companies anyway. Mm. So I think Malaysian businesses, uh, be it they are selling domestically or internationally, the moment you are thinking about expanding your business, naturally you have some buyers who are listed. So I think it's important to understand what your buyers are abiding to, what are the regulations they need to comply with and therefore be able to sell something that they can easily report as being, you know, uh, better for the climate, for the environment and therefore uh, be able to sell better. Right. 
All right, it is time for us to take a quick break for some messages. But when we come back, we touch on greenwashing uh, as well as what Malaysian businesses can do to ensure their ESG disclosures are accurate and credible. All that and more happening on Recess Center with Benjamin So from Stax. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Balanced Frank Medium, BFM 89.9. You are listening to Resource Center. This is Audrey Raj. Online with me today, I have Benjamin So, founder and managing director of Stacks. And we are talking about ESG disclosures and why it's important to your business. Now, uh, Ben, I don't think we can talk about ESG uh, reporting uh, CSR uh, reporting without exactly touching on greenwashing. It's been a concern in the ESG space. So, you know, like there's been all these claims about brands just making claims, not having any data or any actual uh, measures put in place to to actually prove that they are making this these steps towards sustainability and all of that. Now, how can Malaysian businesses ensure that their ESG disclosures are actually accurate and credible and brush away these greenwashing claims? Not just yeah. Malaysian businesses, businesses at large. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, of course, I think it's, uh, most of the greenwashing that has come out there, sometimes it even uh, boils down to that company itself not having enough knowledge of its entire operations. Mm. You know, sometimes uh, a business unit might be saying, you know, claiming credit for something that they have done, but it looks hilarious when another business unit, you know, is actually polluting the environment while they are doing that. <laughs> so I think uh, it's important that a company or any company okay, will be able to have information of its entire scope of business. That's important for investors too. I think the, uh, the emergence of technology will help. Okay? And if technology is able to help you know, companies be able to quantify the data better, not just in the unit, but in the more holistic view, have all the different types of information put together, uh, both the investors or the companies themselves, we have a better view because I really don't think that most companies are doing greenwashing intentionally. intentionally. Because they, yeah, because the price or the cost of doing it is way more than this little marketing value that they gain. True, yeah. true. Now, you know, while we're talking about accuracy and, and doing things right, um, you know, of course, investors are becoming more discerning now. They're taking a closer look at um, ESG funds and companies. Uh, they're scrutinizing uh, these funds uh, and organizations as well, right? Can you talk to us about um, accurate ESG calculations and how this mm. impacts investor trust um, in markets? Mm. Yeah. So if you look at the journey or life cycle of data all the way from the upstream, you know, so a lot of these data are operational data mm. and these data are definitely sourceable or accurate because from the finance department, I know how much I spend on electricity and when the utility spill come, I have, I can actually see the breakdown. How many kilowatts per hour, how many liters of water, okay, and also if I pump petrol, for example, how many liters of fuel. So these are various data that is readily available. Obviously, you know, uh, ESG is pretty new to most people, so we haven't actually operationalized or made it common, you know, to use those data. So I think it's just a matter of habit and also providing technologies that can easily convert those data points 
into a carbon emission number. Another example that I always like to use is that, you know, when I was growing up, <laughs> when I was growing up, I could just eat anything that I want, right? Fast food, uh, junk food, uh, without a care in the world. But, you know, as I got older, you know, I started to realize that all those food has labels mm. with the number of calories put inside, the you know, amount of sodium, etc. So, and then, allow us to actually have a very transparent view and information of what we are consuming and what's really good or not so good. Okay, and I believe that in the future, not too long later, okay, uh, our activities and the products that we have will also carry a climate carbon impact, for example, carbon emissions, for example. Okay, and that will also allow people to now understand, okay, oh, actually, uh, if by making a certain choice, certain products are more polluting than the others, okay, I could actually uh, reduce my carbon emissions just like how I'm trying to reduce my calories today. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's obvious that, you know, in this conversation, to get things started, to get things moving, to basically set the right foundation, we need to lean on tech. Right. Exactly. Um, so what kind of tools, what kind of tech platforms should we be considering to efficiently track, to verify our ESG data, to quantify this, you know, especially when it's dealing with um, third party requests? Because, you know, if, if an MNC or if a listed company wants to work with an SME today, you know what, we're going to have to transfer that data. It needs to be put in a way even though we don't have a universal standard for this just yet, or you know, it might not even happen, but how do we do that? How do we then, um, what's the word for it? Uh, interoperate? Yeah, how do we then interoperate? Yeah, you yeah. get what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that every day. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, basically I think technology platforms that are serving, I mean, if you look at the data value chain again, right? At the mm-hmm. beginning, there must be certain type of uh, conversion platforms. Uh, some people call them calculators, uh, whereby you are able to key in certain types of data, be it liters of fuel or electricity consumption, and that can help you convert those data points to your carbon emissions. And actually, there, there is a scientific way of calculating it that is acceptable by the financial industry or the international regulatory standards. So those calculators play a very important role to make it easy for companies to fit the numbers in, calculate it, and come up with the results. Then, of course, there are companies like us. You know, my, my company, our platform is called ESGpedia. So as the name suggests, you know, it's like a Wikipedia of information. Uh, of course, we need to be verifiable. We cannot just allow anybody to key in any types of data. So our, our ESGpedia, like a Wikipedia, aggregate all of this data Okay, that is already produced, uh, that's already out there, okay, to put together into a single uh, directory so that people can now reference it, okay, as they're making their decisions on investments or financing. Okay, and of course, uh, we do need to partner with uh, very large uh, organizations. Okay, and we note that, for example, some exchanges like the SGX in Singapore or Pusan Malaysia in Malaysia, mm. they have come up with their own platforms to support the companies reporting to them. So definitely, we need to be interoperable with them You know, while uh, they are also uh, serving the companies. Okay, we also want to be able to help the companies create reports that are fit for purpose for their local regulatory reporting into the exchange yeah. so that these companies do not need to do so much uh, repeated work at the same time. Okay, and while 
doing that, we are also able to bring the company data to another part of the world. So if our ESGpedia has investors in, let's just say, uh, Europe or the US, they are also able to reference the same data produced in Malaysia. Okay, And so the companies here uh, get a wider exposure just by doing that one single action. And everything that we have to do is therefore interlink uh, in the backend. Mm. Thank you for that, Benjamin. Thank you for simplifying uh, that process for us. Now, um, before I let you go, I just want you to, if I could, make you look into your crystal ball and tell us <laughs> um, what key challenges and opportunities uh, as well that you foresee uh, Malaysian businesses or businesses in the region uh, in the realm of ESG disclosures, what kind of uh, opportunities and challenges do you see them facing and what steps um, should we take to stay ahead of this evolving landscape? Mm. So I'll talk about the challenge first. You know, this week I saw a research study done by KPMG. Uh, it's a global research where they interviewed several companies, right? Uh, I think a thousand companies. And the result is that, you know, their research found out that 75% of companies are not ready, you know, to comply with mandatory ESG reporting requirements mm. today. 75%, that's really quite uh, stacking, you know, which means that if we've made four companies, three of them are unable to satisfy simple mandatory regulatory requirements. They are, you know, in other words, uh, in violation. Right? So that's, that's a, a very important fact that, you know, most companies today, uh, being the fact that ESG is pretty new, okay, are not quite ready. So that's the challenge. The opportunity is therefore that if a company is able to start today, you know, even if it's not mandated, meaning, you know, those listed companies are mandated, they have to do it anyway. But even if you are not mandated, right? Okay, if we were to start today, it will give us the opportunity to be, uh, you know, early mover. It will give us the opportunity to get the data that we can. It will give us the opportunity to identify where we can be better. And of course, the opportunity to sell better, you know, since, okay, many companies therefore are required to comply, they will therefore have to procure sustainably. And if I'm looking at a supplier which has the sustainable credentials and certifications, and then I can reference, for example, okay, our, our platform to show that the company is really green, uh, that's where chances are, okay, these companies will get better uh, demand from those companies that need to abide by regulations. So that's the opportunity today. And which is why I say I will always, you know, uh, use this single line to uh, advise companies to get started, which is you know, sustainable companies will be profitable and prof to be profitable one really has to be sustainable mm. it's cyclical yeah. right yeah right Benjamin thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us for more information on Stacks or ESGpedia is there a website that we can go to yes www.esgpedia.io and if you missed out on any part of this show, you can go look for the podcast on our website. That's bfm.my. You can also find all our podcasts on the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. I've been speaking with Benjamin So, founder and managing director of Stacks. My name is Audrey Raj and this has been Resource Center on Enterprise, BFM 89.9.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.